This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a programme about globalisation and the effect it's had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme, we interview a person from another country or with some strong connection to another country to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected their life and work. There's a little bit of history, some economics, sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both for me and for my interviewees from around the world. In recent programmes, we've travelled back and forth across the Atlantic from Spain, Croatia and Germany on this side to the US and Mexico on the other side. And today we're coming back home to Ireland to talk to Simon McKeever, CEO of the Irish Exporters Association. We've spoken before in this programme about the process of economic globalisation that's changed Ireland radically over the last 40 or 50 years, and particularly since the early 90s. Ireland's become an exporting powerhouse through the 1990s and 2000s and is now one of the most open, internationally connected, trade-dependent economies in the world. And this has been driven uh, to a significant degree by multinational companies, but also by the activities of homegrown exporting companies. The Irish Exporters Association plays a significant role in support of the exporting activities of all types of companies exporting from Ireland. And I'm delighted to have Simon here this evening in the studio to talk uh, about his experience and reflections on the internationalisation of Ireland's economy over the last few decades and what the future might hold for us. Welcome, Simon, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thanks, Patrick. So, Simon, uh, first off, the Irish Exporters Association. What is the Irish Exporters Association? What are its goals? What activities does it engage in? And and what services does it provide to exporters? Thanks, Patrick. Well, the Irish Exporters Association, it's actually not a very young body. It's around a long time. It's around since 1951. And it was set up by a group of manufacturers to provide support and help to each other uh, because at that time there wasn't any um, state support. I think it actually predates Corus Troctola by about a year. Um, so um, we do four things. We, we represent the Irish exporting community. So our members are made up of companies of all shapes and sizes, all types of sectors from manufacturing right through to ICT and the services sector. We're a national organisation, um, predominantly in the 26 counties in the Republic of Ireland, but we do have some members up in the, in the north as well. But we, we represent them. We sit on nine different government committees. We would have a lot of formal engagement in, in with government, uh, representing on different Oireachtas committees in front of different ministers. Uh, we would have a lot of informal engagement with government where we try and get things done for our members. Um, we run a visa legalisation service so if companies, uh, if, if people are travelling for business to different parts of the world, say to Saudi Arabia or to China where you need a visa and you don't sp- fancy spending half a day coming up to Dublin and perhaps standing in the rain outside one of those embassies that mm-hmm. you, you DHL your passport into us and we do that for you um, and that takes away a lot of pain and trouble from companies um, and saves you a lot of time uh, and money in the long term. Uh, we do that for companies. We have a huge training programme that we do and it is it is largely revolved around um, trade compliance areas, uh, particularly around the areas of customs. We've just launched a certificate in international trade um, and that has been uh, very, uh, very well accepted. We've, we just took our first intake in the, uh, we're running it in the IMI actually just up the road here, uh, independently of the IMI, but we are running it there and it is oversubscribed. Uh, we run a lot of our um, different kind of customs compliance training uh, training courses. 
um, and to show you the demand that Brexit is giving for those type of courses at the moment. We, we, we run them throughout the year and they're day-long courses. We put one on in August last year and we've run them since uh, mm-hmm. many, many times but we put one on in August thinking everybody be away on holidays but it was four times oversubscribed. Um, so training is a big area uh, for us. We run a number of knowledge networks. We call them knowledge networks because we're not a chamber of commerce so if you're if you're coming to one of our events, uh, you're predominantly coming to find out about something. Uh, normally, the, the latest technologies like blockchain that are coming in, which we run through our supply chain group, or a new piece of legislation or a regulation coming out of Europe. Um, we run that and we run our export rewards and they have a, a series of events that, that run out of us. So we're, we're a very tight, very close uh, a close community of uh, members that we have. Um, I think, and then assistance, just general assistance. We would pride ourselves Serves, uh, on our ability to solve things for our members of a company could ring us up and ask us you know anything from you know a, a general kind of business query a routing query a customs uh, type of query a market entry type of uh, issue um, and some of the most bizarre things like helping a turtle get back to the Canary Islands a number of Christmases ago we just we just happened to know mm-hmm. The veterinary research that needed to be got. So we would pride ourselves on our ability that if, if we don't know about it inside, in-house, we certainly know somebody who does and we, and we would pride ourselves in getting that done. So I, I don't think there's anything that we've been asked to do that we haven't been able to get done for somebody. Okay, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And the members are companies and some of the companies are very large companies. But how, how small might a company be as a member? Um, our, our membership is kind of a third... Um, a third, a third, a third. So a third very large um, 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 multinational companies, you know, a lot of them foreign owned, um, some of them in the Irish, Irish owned as well. Um, a number of them would be kind of medium-sized companies, so kind of up to 250 million turnover. And then you have a number of companies that would be down the the, the kind of not to kind of 50 employees. Um tend to be have a lot more companies that are 10 to 50 employees than, mm. than not to 10 or 1 to 10. Mm. Um, that that just tends to be where the activity, you know, it tends to be kind of above 10 people, kind of above 1 million turnovers where companies are really beginning to actively starting to get to They have the resources of, and the They've capacity. got resources, time. Uh, they've been around a while. Um, there is a number of kind of accidental uh, exporters around who have a website and they don't realise that they're they're exporting. Mm-hmm. Um, but but predominantly, you know, we're hardcore exporting. So they're, they're yeah. companies that yeah. tend to um, be well on the way or certainly are thinking about it. Yeah. I was referring in the opening there about how Ireland's become somewhat of a powerhouse in, in exporting. So to what extent is Ireland at the moment dependent on exporting and, and where is it that we're exporting to? Um, well, we're we're very dependent on on exporting, and you know that is by and large a very very good thing because when the world economy is doing reasonably well, um, then and we have a reasonably diverse uh, export base in that you know we we export a lot into the European Union, a lot into the UK, and a lot into the United States, and then the rump of exports you know props around fifteen twenty percent into the rest of the world, so. It, it makes us very exposed when one of those areas has goes into recession. So it didn't really particularly help us when we were um, when the global economic recession came about in two thousand and eight. 
Um, it, I suppose it kind of exacerbated everything that we had because our principal markets were very badly damaged, you know, starting with the US, then the UK, and then a, a kind of a tail in, into Europe for quite some time. But by and large, it serves Ireland very well and it serves it in a number of different reasons. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the amount of foreign direct investment that has come into this country, it's not only kind of creating... Um, loads of jobs in the country. Not only is it contributing a lot to the corporation tax intake, which I suppose is two two sides of that story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's brought a lot of expertise into the country. It's brought a lot of management know-how, management capacity, and that as as people kind of move on from those companies and set up their own companies, it's brought up, up the level of the Irish company. It's yeah. brought up. It's brought up the whole level of um, uh, of, of company thinking. Um, in in this country, and it has transformed, I think, uh, Ireland into certainly a, a destination where uh, a remains very attractive for foreign direct investment, but b where there is a lot, um, and and sorry, and I say this, but that that the talent that the talent pool that exists, you know, is fairly well educated, um, but well travelled, well travelled, mm-hmm. but also because of that, largely uh, American. Um, FDI base in there, there's kind of best thinking, best practice in terms of management uh, development that's mm. going on in there. And how how does uh, how do the the exporting activities of multinationals based in Ireland differ from the activities of Irish owned exporting companies, whether they're SMEs or larger Irish owned companies? I think there's a number of differences. Um, one of them, obviously, I'm sorry, not obviously, but one is scale. I mm. mean, you know, uh, the American. And, and other multinationals that tend to be here are are very large. Um, the Irish business might be part of their global supply chain, uh, so they might be trading in in and between each other. In fact, a lot of the Amer- the American t- stuff is that. Um, um, so they have a, a again a, a lot of global expertise. Would be. Um, um, would have a, a multiple of different markets that they're servicing. Um, there tends to be a lot of value add going on in those uh, in those companies. Um, from a from and you look at that, and then you look at Irish companies. Um, so you've got scale, as I said to you, is that there tend to be very large companies, very large already globally operating companies. Um, and then you and then there is a number of Irish companies that are um, that are at that. So you've yeah, got big some, agri-food companies uh, would be yeah. up there. Yeah, um, you know, and you look at some of them and. Uh, they might be headquartered in Ireland, but but really most of their operations are in other parts of the world. Mm. Um, and then you have a kind of a middle belt of Irish companies, and there'll be a and there's a sweet spot of manufacturing in in a lot of those kind of um, tend to be family owned, privately owned Irish businesses. Um, we would do an awful lot of work with those kind of uh, companies, and it's a very rich source uh, of innovation in Ireland. Uh, but also, as those companies tend to do well and they are privately owned, the people who have built, bought, and owned those companies tend to invest back in to the ecosystem back mm-hmm. in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's very um, it's a very lively. So so scale is one of them, and I think if if maybe this helps to answer it. Um, the only company that I have met that is 100% Brexit proof, that has 100% looked at um, at everything Brexit related and has an answer and a solution to everything is a foreign owned, extremely large multinational company. Okay. I've, I've often felt uh, that Ireland uh, as a country, our exports are perhaps not as 
diversified market-wise as many of those of our European peer competitors. Um, we seem to concentrate a lot on the UK, the US and near Europe. Um, how are we doing on this front now? What's your own view on it? Uh, you're right. Um, first of all, you're right. And if you, if you look at exports to the UK, and there's only statistics available for the first couple of months of this year, exports to the UK as a percentage has actually gone up. It's 21, 22%. Now, there might sitting in there might be a bit of stockpiling that's going on that mm. companies were were pre um pre-placing goods in warehouses across the UK and and certainly there's been a lot of that going on but we are a um the reason why we do so much with the UK is is geography history um english speaking and we are off the coast of the of the united kingdom whether we like it or not it makes an awful lot of sense to mm-hmm. do an awful lot of business and it's it's a, a relatively easy speaking you know easy easier place to do business the biggest single export market, if you look at the CSO statistics for the first two months of this year, do you know where the biggest, the number one export market for Irish um, goods is? Is it the US? Belgium. Belgium, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Belgium has 29% of Irish uh, uh, exports. But they're probably not staying in Belgium. They're not, no. I mean, no. you've got ports, very busy ports and very busy airports, and you have a lot of the amalgamation in the pharmaceutical industry goes on in um, in, in Belgium. Um, the single biggest market for exports of substance is, is, is the United States, um, and it's driven by our um, pharmaceutical exports uh, and a lot of the the ICT stuff that's going back out there. Um, so, um, you know, we we asked our members as a as a consequence of Brexit, what markets are they focusing on? And the top two markets are um, Germany and the United States. Mm-hmm. Out of that, and they're actually reflected in in the in the stats over the last year. And they every time we measure that, we measure it every three or four months. Um, either Germany or the United States is is number one. And when you look at the top ten. They are either English speaking or very near to us. So you've got the likes of um, United States, Germany, France, mm-hmm. Belgium, Switzerland, so Canada. We, yeah. So we perhaps need to be looking at the likes of, uh, I don't know, Indonesia, Turkey, Egypt, Mexico, these big countries in developing parts of the world. Yeah? Well, I think, I think, I think we, we, we need to just remember the size of a country that we are and actually the capacity that we have and the and the the number of companies that are actually exporting it's it's not as massive as we as we think it is a lot of the volume is handled out of the very very large companies so there actually is huge potential to go into relatively easier markets to get into because the the really further flung stuff it's very far away. It's more difficult. You've yeah. got language Complex. and you've got cultural issues. Mm-hmm. There's a huge market in the United States that is very pro-Irish. Um, and I think you only see that when you go over there or on, on any kind of business type of related thing. Uh, you know, you have 10% of the Irish, of the American population claim some level of um, blood back into Ireland. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge, and they are very willing and open to help. Yeah, uh, that must that sh- that shouldn't be confused, by the way. With um, you can't just turn up. You know, you have to be willing to to put the hours in and prove that you can do it. Um, but to to me, um, yeah, China is is a very attractive market. The markets you mentioned are very attractive markets. They're rapidly growing. Um, and and we should be looking at those, but I think the where where we are on that journey as a country, I still think there's massive potential in some of the closer markets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of opportunity still out there. Massive, mm-hmm. absolutely massive. So, the, the fact that we've become a major exporting nation has been enabled by this 
by the processes of globalization that have been kind of going on in the background uh, over the last number of decades. And there are lots of different aspects to globalization. Some of them get quite a bad um, rap in the in the press. So what, what, what's your own take on globalization, what it is, what the positives are, and what kind of challenges it throws up? Um, I think there's a, you know, you talk about the bad press. So I think a lot of that is, there's a lot of a political dimension to the, the negative parts of globalization um, at the moment. I think Ireland has done very well out of globalization, you know, um, and you 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 look, uh, and we talked about it earlier on, you look at the infrastructure of very established businesses that are here at the moment. Um, you look at Ireland's position uh, where it is, I suppose, politically and geographically in the world as well, and, and it will continue to benefit from globalization because... Uh, the United States needs access to European markets and Ireland is potentially going to be the largest English-speaking country in the European Union and finds itself at, at, at a crossroads where it is in the EU as kind of despite what happened to us in, in, the, um, in, in the global economic crisis has turned out to be almost the poster boy of the European mm. Union in terms of good behaviour and how you turn it around extremely close links to the United States of America, um, um, close links to the the United Kingdom, um, which, um, you know, there is turbulence in that relationship at the moment, um, but I think it is is nothing that can't be brought back to where it was three or four years ago. So if you've, if Ireland finds itself in, in the, the, the juxtaposition that it is Economically doing very well, doing well out of out of globalization and internationalization, but I think it finds itself in a in a uniquely strategic position for a lot of global interests that are out there at the moment, um, and you know, you know, our our EU membership is a is a cornerstone of of the country's viability going forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, just focusing on the UK for a minute, to, to what extent are we actually dependent on trade with the United Kingdom, both on the export side and on the import side? And which sectors are most impacted by U- UK business? Well, we actually, we actually import more from the UK than we do export to it. And we're one of only... I think it's two countries that the United Kingdom actually has a trade surplus with, um, being uh, Ireland and the United States. They're the only two countries that I know that. Um, and and we talk about being that that the UK is a very important market for Ireland. Ireland's a really important market for the UK as well. And people don't really kind of get that. We're we're actually the number one export market, the UK export market for food uh, for British food and drink. Okay. We're we're actually the number one. Um, export market for UK clothing, fashion, retail, footwear. Here we are in Dundrum Town Centre. And if you walk down any of the high streets in Ireland, you, you'll see that reflected from a brand point of view. We're a pretty important market for, for British pharmaceutical exports as well. Uh, we're not number one, but as far as I'm aware, we're about number seven for them. So it is, um, the, 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 the the nature of the relationship is, is that... Um, for Irish companies that are starting off to export for the first time and for British companies that are starting off to export for the first time, we're both very, very important to each other because we have a very very similar legal system. We kind of look like each other. We actually share the same media space. We share the same sporting space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we have a natural affinity to each other. So we, we find it easiest to come and do business in each other's backyards before we go somewhere else in the world. Uh, and the proximity thing is a big thing for us. 
Um, so it is a it is a very important market. I think when when you talk to um, our members, the ability to be able to kind of get up in the morning, jump on a plane and be home that night mm-hmm. having done business um, during the day in the UK it's kind of sometimes might be easier than jumping in your car from as I do to go around visitor members to go like I'll be driving down to Cork on um, on Thursday so you know that's the same as a flight yeah you know yeah. And, and back um, so it's I, I think there's there's there is that kind of piece, and there's a there's a natural. So it is it is, and it will no matter what happens, it will always remain a really really important market for for, and it will do for in both directions. Yeah, I won't I won't ask you what's happening with Brexit because there's too many moving parts. Well, obviously, but there's very little happening with Brexit <laughs> at the moment. That's and, and 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 people need to be very careful because I was with a group of our members last week. And and I asked them, I said, what are you doing now with Brexit? And they, <laughs> what they said was, we're doing everything we should have been doing for those six, seven, eight months that we were getting mad. You're looking at Brexit, we're now, the business is now focused on other things. And I worry about that a little bit yeah. because um, when, you, when you look at what um, manufacturing companies in particular have been doing, they have been stockpiling. Um, and they're, they're, they have so much stuff, for want of a better word, stockpiled at the moment that it'll take until July to run that down. Mm-hmm. And then in July, they'll have to start stockpiling all again. over again mm-hmm. because from August on into October, uh, the House of Commons in the UK is going to go nuts again uh, because they nobody's really focusing on this until uh, until October. So, so that's that's what's happening. It worries it worries me a lot that companies have taken their um, you know that that they're using the time that they have now to focus on other things. Um, so, how how would you assess our preparedness as a country, on, both on the on the business side and then say on the government side and with the state agencies? Um, well, on the business side, I said to you, I've met one company that is. 100% identified and mitigated the risk and has got an action plan and it's unbelievably comprehensive what they've done. That's the only company that I've met that that is at that level. Um, so you, so the way you look at it is if you're a very large, foreign-owned, uh, multinational, you're pretty well, you know, you've done a lot of investigations, you're able to put global teams on this that are crisis managers. Um, as you kind of move down a little bit into Irish-owned um, kind of smaller companies, and then they've they've looked at not the whole entire spectrum, but they haven't covered the whole spectrum. And as you kind of get down into the ten man band, one man band, it's less and less and less and less. Um, and you know, the the smaller the company, the more time poor that they have that they are. And I think there is a. There's definitely still a perception out there in, in in this country that this thing is just going to go away um, and and disappear. Uh, a little bit of complacency or wishful thinking. I don't know. If it's, I don't know if it's complacency or wishful thinking. It's it's not for the lack of people calling it out. Uh, this government has been very comprehensive in terms of. I, I don't think it's possible for them to put in place absolutely everything. You know, you just can't physically do absolutely everything but the engagement level by the government in this country since before the referendum in the UK has been you know public um, we sit on a number of, of different government boards so that you know the engagement with stakeholders like ourselves is, is extremely regular um, and and very inclusive so you know and, and when you when we talk to the people in the UK they can't 
believe how much further down the road Ireland is in terms of being as prepared as it could be than the UK is. I mean, I don't think we're fully prepared. I don't think you could possibly be fully prepared. And even some of the actions that have happened in the port are having an, you know, so I was with this group of companies last week um, and the the activity to prepare some of the customs posts in the port and all of that has slowed down some of the traffic coming through and the availability of space in mm-hmm. the port for for parking um, uh, trailers and that in it. So I don't, I think I think there's been an awful lot of work done here. If nothing else, to raise awareness out of it, it is it, everybody that you can think of is talking about this. The government has been very public about it. All the agencies have been. We've done an, an, an enormous number of of events and private engagements about it. You've been involved in quite a number of them. Yep. Um, and I think we're a lot more prepared than our neighbour is across mm-hmm. the road. So the, I guess the threats to Ireland from Brexit, whatever it turns out to be, are fairly well documented. Looking at the other side of the coin, what opportunities, if any, do you see for Ireland in a post-Brexit world? None? Not really, no. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think from a... Um, you, you certainly have more foreign direct investment. Yeah. This becomes a, a very, you know, as I said to you, strategically Ireland. So this, this thing of being the largest or the only real English-speaking country in the EU perhaps brings some benefits with it. Oh, it does. I mean, you know, it, we become a much more important um, destination for inward investment for access into the EU markets. I think people who are going around saying that Brexit brings massive opportunities are are copping themselves and everybody else that they are um, that they're that they're talking to Brexit. Mm-hmm. There's no good news about Brexit <laughs> in, in in any way, shape, or form. Ireland is likely to be worse damaged than the UK is in all of this. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's talking about great opportunities in Brexit is. Yeah, talking out of a different part of their anatomy. Okay, so very good. So uh, we'll change tack a little. Um, how long have you been uh, CEO at the at the IA? I think you said the organisation's been there since since nineteen fifty one. Fifty one. I hadn't. I wasn't born in nineteen fifty one. And you've been CEO since since nine uh, since twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen is coming on for for six years. Um, so how's the association changed in that time in the last six years? Um, the association has changed in in a number of ways. In in that our our membership has has changed a little bit to being one that is much more hardcore exporting than it was. So the, at the core of our of our membership are a lot of manufacturing companies, um, and then a lot a number of companies in the services and ICT space that we are growing at that piece. But the history of the organisation is manufacturing and the transport and logistics space that sits in with that. Um, and the um, and then we are growing our, our ICT and services sector. We're very, in, in terms of the companies that can provide viable services to those companies, um, we've had a look at what types of companies um, should be should be and can be in that. So the companies that, that are in that space, they need to be very viable in terms of having a realistic service offering to a company in um, that is that is at the core of our, our um, membership. We do, in many ways, we do a, a lot, we're less, we're very busy, but, you know, for, for instance, the organisation and I inherited at 156 events. Yeah, so you're, more, you're more focused then. Yeah. We're much more focused. We used to run a lot of EU funded projects. We mm-hmm. don't run any now. We're totally self-funding. 
Um, and we've we've simplified our our model down to the things that I mentioned, which is you know the the training, the the knowledge networks, the visa services and assistance. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're and we're really really focused on 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 those four things. We're very we're extremely connected into government. When I when I started, we were uh, I sat on one government board and now sit on nine uh, government committee things. Um, where we've got a fairly high um, media presence, so we do shout very loudly. We have a, we have a very strong connection in the diplomatic community, both mm-hmm. both the foreign diplomatic services here in Ireland um, and overseas, and that gives us an ability to to kind of get things done on behalf of our members. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, so it's a fairly busy busy agenda. Uh, we're a small fronts. business. Yeah, yeah. We're a small business. So then, when you're not working, what do you like doing? What do I like doing? Um, if there's any time left, <laughs> I have a an old car which I get out every now and again. A uh, like a vintage car. I have an old car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a classic. Well, it's not as old as that. I've always always had old bangers throughout yeah. the years. Um, so I've, I've an old an old car. Um, I kind of I go to the gym fairly regularly. Try and keep myself um, fit, both physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, and uh, spend a lot of time with my family. Um, Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, Simon, um, as always. And uh, many thanks for being with us today. You do. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you.